Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. I'm Jamie Hampton, and today I get to be here with Kristen LaValle, author of the upcoming book, Even If He Doesn't, What We Believe About God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Kristen, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be here. Um, I wanted to start off, we start off every interview with asking our guest what your favorite prayer closet is with air quotes. Where do you like to go to meet with God? Oh my goodness. I have so many kids, so maybe the literal closet. <laughs> How many? How many do you have? I have five. So there are not enough closets to go around around here. I kind of, I guess I would say my car, but really the truthful answer is that I just kind of try to, this is going to sound so cheesy, but I try to just make my heart the prayer closet and just stay attuned to God throughout the day. I, I um, try to practice the presence of God in my life so that when life is chaotic and crazy, I'm kind of just always attuning to his presence around me so that if I don't have a chance to step back and just take a moment for myself and center myself that I'm just throughout the day, I'm I'm listening, I'm praying, I'm kind of in this rat-a-tat with God all day long. But if I'm not doing that, then like the car. <laughs> I love that. I relate to all of that. I do not have five kids. I have three. It feels like five sometimes, but I totally relate and love the fact that you carry your prayer closet with you. And it reminds me of Susanna Wesley, um, John Wesley's mom. And the the story goes that she would put her apron up over her head. And that was her <laughs> prayer closet. She would say, when I, I when my apron is up over my head, don't bother mama. You know, it's like I could, <laughs> she could great. be anywhere. Yeah. yeah. An apron. Yeah. An apron because she could carry it with her. Um, I, I found when the kids were little, I would sometimes step into the garage because it was kind of away. Um, yeah. I look back and I think it was the sensory deprivation that was very calming for me. It was dark. Yeah. It was usually kind of cool, no matter what time of year it was. And just, yeah, just kind of step away. But yeah, I really love that. And the car, especially if you have either a baby that doesn't really mind, because I like talking out loud when I'm in the car to God. Yeah. And you know, if you have little kids or even just if you're driving from place to place, they tend to be a little more distracted and busy. I could see that being a great place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to jump right in. Um, so your upcoming book is Even If He Doesn't, What We Believe About God When Life Doesn't Make Sense. And I love this because it's, you know, we have these ideal ideals, these idealistic ideas about what prayer is and especially I think in a prosperous culture and society, we can get lulled into the sense of comfort in life equals blessing from God. And once you hit the brick wall of adversity, you quickly come to realize, oh, either that's not true or God isn't real or he doesn't love me or he's not hearing my prayers. So um, what inspired you to write this book and who would you say it's for? I think I just, there are a lot of things. Part of it was I just needed to get it out. It was just kind of like on my chest that I needed this cathartic release of all these things that I've learned from the suffering in my life. But it was also just there, there was no book for me when I was in the midst of all these different sufferings that I talk about in the book. The books that I found were very simplistic and they were offering me answers to my suffering and the answers weren't 
satisfying to me. I didn't really want someone to tell me why I was suffering. I wanted someone to just bear witness to my suffering and give me words and give me comfort and not um, try to shame my theology or place blame on me. And I couldn't really find a lot of books that were not fluffy or simplistic. And I wanted to write something for people who don't want answers and don't want somebody to say, this is why you're suffering and here's how to get out of suffering. You know, the form, the formulaic path to a non-suffering life. I didn't want that. And I, I know there are lots of people that don't want the answers. They just want somebody to see their pain and relate to it and validate it and offer comfort and hope through scripture and through experience and, and through this bearing witness of pain, recognizing it and speaking hope and comfort to it instead of saying, here's the here's the answer to all of your problems and all of these deep theological mysterious questions that we have about why a good God allows suffering in the life of those who love Jesus. Instead, it's a book that says, here's how I've suffered. Here's how I've grown. Here's how, how I've learned. Here are the beautiful things that have come out of my life and have come um, have grown in my faith because of my suffering. I see you. I recognize recognize what you're going through. And I'm just, I'm just a non-anxious presence to you and your suffering. I love the way you put that, that you just needed someone to bear witness to your suffering. Um, because I know I always, sometimes I avoid people that are suffering because I don't know what to say. And I'm afraid that I won't have the right answers. But, um, what you're saying is that a lot of times, and I know from times that I've struggled, you just need someone to listen and maybe not say anything, or maybe say that has to be really hard. Like I'm here, you know, I'm here to listen. Um, and story is so powerful for good or for bad. I feel like, um, like I was just talking to someone recently about some struggles that I had with health anxiety, like anxiety over my health and things that were happening. And um, story can lead you down like a very damaging spiral if the story is just flat out negative with no hope or story when it's presented in a way that points you to hope or points you to at least surviving and moving forward with, with hope, um, can be so powerful. So could you maybe share with us just, um, I know, you know, you can't share everything, but could you just share a little bit of your story? Sure. Um, so I, I went through a, a kind of a series of, I call them my series of unfortunate events. Um, that was just kind of back-to-back things that happened within a five-year span that were deeply traumatic. One of them was, um, a relational split from our church that was deeply, deeply painful and uprooted our entire lives, our entire framework for living. Um, not long after that, I saw someone get killed in my backyard. And not long after that, we lost a baby. And then not long after that, this is all within five years, um, we went through a really um, traumatic crisis pregnancy that resulted in the premature birth of our twins 11 weeks early emergency c-section the whole thing was very uh, very challenging so there was these series of events that i went through that some of them challenged my faith more than others and i i look at those events as the unfortunate things that happened but the things that kind of up, uprooted these really bad theologies and doctrines and 
um, beliefs about God that I kind of just absorbed. I don't think I really knew that I believed those things about God until I went through these things and they came out and they shaped the faith that I held on to when we were going through the crisis with our twins. So what would you say, just, um, um, what would you say are some of those theologies that you held before facing crisis situations? I looked at faith as this formula that if, if I did a certain thing, if I did a certain number of things, there were some guarantees, there were some absolutes and suffering. It wasn't that I didn't believe that Christians could suffer. It was that I believed that there was always an explanation for it. It was because of sin. It was because of lack of faith. It was because God was trying to teach you something, or it was because God just thinks that you're so important to the kingdom of God that he's allowing suffering because what, what's that quote? God gives his strongest, hardest battles to his strongest soldiers or something like mm. that. I think I had like a a combination of all of those different theologies. And the first thing that really almost took my faith from me was what we went through with our church because mm. I did all the right things that I had always been taught to do. And we still lost and we still lost our job. We lost our home. We lost our community and we had done nothing wrong. There was no sin. It was just, it was just a relational split, um, that felt like betrayal. And in the year following that, my faith just kind of crumbled because everything that I thought was a guarantee was no longer given to me. And so the, the God that I thought I was following was not the God that was revealed to me in that situation. And, um, it just kind of uprooted all that stuff. And I, and I had to look at each thing that I had believed. And yet my circumstances were presenting a different reality. So either it was that my beliefs were wrong or my beliefs were right. And there were things going on in my life and in my heart that I couldn't find and I couldn't make sense of it. So there was this tension of what I believed and what my circumstances were, what my reality was. And I was trying to make them fit. And for a while I couldn't make them, I couldn't make the theology that I had fit to my circumstance because it just didn't work. So I had to relook at everything and relearn everything and find who God really was and reshape what I believed about him. Not, not that I needed to make him fit my circumstances, but I wanted to find who he truly was, not just what my theology claimed he was, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I mean, I just want to give you, <laughs> commend you for recognizing that, you know, when what I believe can't fit into this situation, I must be understanding God wrong, you know, and, and let me try to find out who he really is. And I mean, that is, that's so key, I think. And it's, it seems basic, but it's not because I think sometimes when, especially when we're further along in our faith and we've spent years untangling theology or learning certain things. And and like you said, learning to kind of explain the whys and, and learning the apologetics of why good things happen to bad people and having the pat answers that you give people or that you answer to your kids when they ask questions, you know, when you come across these really tough things that don't fit into that mold because you're outside of general things are going a good way. Um, it is, it is really hard. And so I just think that's so important for, I know there's someone listening right now who's in the thick of that battle of what I believe about God or thought I believed isn't working. So what would you say? Like, do you have any practical first steps for like, what do you do? How do you go about 
discovering who God really is, that seems like a really big job. So what were some of the very basic practical steps you took at that time? The very first thing I did, um, well, you kind of go through the motions of grief. I think if it, if there's something that has happened that's caused this crisis of faith, there's a grief in that. And you kind of have to go through all the stages of uh, denial. And you know, the denial stage would be like holding on to what you believe and and not looking at it and just saying, no, 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 what I believe is right. And then you go through anger and then you go through loss. You go through all these emotions. And I think it's really important to allow yourself to go through that um, grieving period, whatever those emotions can be the most difficult one for me. And I think for a lot of Christians and especially Christian women is anger and, and feeling that anger and being honest about that anger and admitting to yourself that you're angry. I had to, um, I, well, for me, I just sat down with my journal and I wrote down, I'm angry. And it felt wrong to write those words because I, I was kind of misdirecting my anger at people or at my circumstances. And I was saying I was angry about this and I'm angry at this person. I'm angry at what this person said and did. But what I really was angry at was God. And I was mad at him because he wasn't who I thought he had promised to be. And he hadn't given me what I thought he had promised to give me. And so I had to be really honest with him. And I think that's the best thing that you can do as you're going through this process is be honest about where you are. God is not surprised by anything that you think or feel. The people around you might be a little horrified, but they'll get over it. It's a part of the process to, to get that out of your system. Don't let it metabolize in your system. Don't let it become a part of your spiritual DNA, get it out. And the only way to get it out is to express it, whether that's to a journal or to a friend or to God or to a therapist, whatever it is, get it out. God already knows and he can handle it. He's not going to be surprised. You're not going to say anything to him. That's going to make him go up. There goes your blessing. There goes your eternity. I'm mad at you forever get it out of your system and be honest. And then you can start going through the process of rebuilding your faith, looking at the things that you believed that you need to look a little bit closer at and figure out why do you believe those things? I went back through the the denomination that I grew up, grew up in. I had to look at the theologies and doctrines of that um, denomination and figure out why I believe those things. Did I even read? Did I even research this? Did I even study this for myself or did I just absorb it into my framework of belief and never take it out and look at it? I think it's really important to every time something happens and you recognize a belief that's not fitting with your circumstance, look at that belief, write it down, do some research, read some scripture, whatever your research processes for everybody that's that's going to look a little bit different but i think it's really important to be honest about where you're at and to start looking at the things that you believe and ask yourself why do i believe this that is so good and you know i have found it seems like trials and travel are the two things that challenge my faith not my faith what should i say my like um my world view or my the lens through which i see my faith um my cultural christianity um, and I think that's, uh, I love that you said to be honest, because like you said, some of the stuff for Christian women, especially, I think we feel like we've got to put on this good front, depending on what your social circle is like, or your church is like, or whatever your friendships. A lot of times I think we feel like we need to be, especially women in leadership. I think we feel like we have to put on this good Christian girl facade, and make sure that we don't ever seem angry and of course not angry with God and never sad about the things that, you know, well, we, you know, God's in control. 
God mm-hmm. is at work in all things. And, and so I think there can be a level of um, like, you know, for a lack of a better word, toxic positivity, like that catchphrase where you're just like a, a, to at the expense of ignoring the pain that you're feeling. And so I appreciate that permission to, to be real. What if the person doesn't definitely, we all have God, we all have a journal or, or time in our quote prayer closet to, to express that anger and those feelings to God or whatever they are. But what about a person? Like, what is your advice for someone that doesn't have maybe a spouse or a best friend that they can confide in? What would be your your advice for finding someone to have an outlet to express those feelings? Hmm, That's a good question. I think um, my go-to answer is a therapist, but there are financial barriers to therapy. So not everyone has access to um, a therapist there, but there are online communities that process these things together. Some are better than others. I think you need to be really careful about the communities that you join online because some people jump from one form of fundamentalism to another form of fundamentalism. And you're just kind of exchanging what you believe, but not exchanging the toxic nature of those beliefs and not engaging with them intellectually or sincerely, but just saying, oh, I don't like what those beliefs are. So I'm just going to come over here and attach myself to this one. Um, I think you, you can find healthy communities that will engage with those conversations and in good faith and without panic. Uh, the group that I found when we were going through what we went through with our church, it was so deeply relationally traumatic that I didn't want to find other people. I didn't trust people. I didn't, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to open that relational, the relational circuits got completely shut off. I was not interested in that at all. And after about 18 months or so, I got to the point and my husband had already moved into a healthier place with, (laughs) with relationships, but I realized Mm -hmm. like community is, is not something that is just like a perk. It's something that is necessary and is woven into the image of God reflected into us. And it's an important part of our existence as a human is to have community. Um, And I realized that and was sort of convicted that I had rejected it, but I knew that I needed to do that for the time to heal. And so I just kind of sat down with my journal and I was praying and listening to Jesus. And I said, look, I, I get that this is what I need to do. I don't trust myself. You got to just send these people to me and I will, I will respond to it when you send them to me, but I can't go looking for them. And that's exactly what happened in ways that has never happened before and has not happened since. It was just this sweet period in my life where I would go into a coffee shop and just randomly start talking to somebody and something they would say, they would say a word or a phrase or I would say something and there was just this connection of we have a shared pain and we'd open up and we'd start talking and exchange phone numbers and realize we'd gone through the same thing. So that happened several times at coffee shops and playgrounds and friends of friends and people that I had known a long time ago that randomly came back into my life. And we realized we had gone through a similar thing at the same time. And then we found a group of people online. It's a ministry, a parachurch ministry, nonprofit ministry called Luke 10 that kind of teach these relational repair skills and teach you how to be the community that we're called to be. And my husband found them first and I was, I was there. And then I was like, I can't handle, I can't handle anybody seeing me emotionally right now. So I checked out, but then when I was a little bit more, um, 
<laughs> healed, I guess, I started opening myself up again. And these were people that were not panicked at my questions. They weren't panicked at my um, faith crumbling. They were just, just that non-anxious presence. I'll probably use that phrase a lot because I think it's really important to be a non-anxious person in someone's life when their faith is crumbling around them. So all that to say, the short and simplistic answer is that I just prayed that God would help me find people. And that's the way that he helped me find people. I think that he um, knows us really well and he knows what's going to work and what's not going to work for us. And when we pray specific prayers like that, which is like a Luke 10 or Luke to Luke 10 to type of prayer is send the harvest harvests or send the workers because the harvest is few. I know my Bible verses and it's kind of like that, like send, send me people so that I don't have to go find the people. And I think God honors that. You just have to be noticing and attuned to what God is doing in your life. That is such a great testimony of God's provision and just God meeting us where we are. He knew that you didn't have it in you and he provided those people that you needed. So can you go, I, you've said it a couple of times, the non-anxious person in someone's life. Can you expound on that a little bit? What does that mean to you? So a non-anxious person is someone who, when you're around them, you feel safe with them and you feel like they're happy to be with you no matter what, no matter where you're at, whether you're sad or anxious, depressed, angry, um, questioning, doubting, secure, happy, whatever you're going through, they're happy to be with you and they're calm in your presence. So these are people that if you say, I'm not sure God is real, or I'm not sure God is good, or I'm mad at God. They're not going to say, oh, but the Bible or, but you can't get bitter or they just get so stressed and mm -hmm. so worried that you're going to fall away or backslide. I don't know, whatever the phrases people are said, deconstruct they're So they get so panicked that they become somebody that you don't even want to talk to. Non-anxious people just listen to you and they, they sit with you. I, I compare it. I know this is probably a lot of people think I'm crazy when I say this. And I wrote about this in my book. But Job's friends, we give them such a hard time because of the things that they said, and we completely bypass the fact that they sat with Job and grieved with Job physically and didn't say a single word for an entire week. They just sat with him. They sat with their sad friend, and they even said, we're not going to say anything because we can tell that his grief is really heavy. So they just sat and listened and grieved with him. And that's what I think of when I think of a non-anxious presence. Those, these are the people that are so attuned and safe in your grief and your anger that when it's time to speak, they've earned the right to speak into your pain and into your faith journey. Wow. That is, that's a beautiful picture in Job. I have never heard anyone mention that. And I, I love that um, credit that you give because it is hard. It is so hard, especially with someone you care about, uh, to be silent when you want to fix it. Or like you said, with, if it's a faith issue, um, to be secure enough in who God is to sit with that person and have faith that you don't have to fix the problem, that God is with them. You just need to pray for them. You could answer questions if you're asked, but most of the time, like you said, it's like just a matter of bearing witness and, you know, I think you can point someone like, can you give me an example of what it was like of some attributes of the people that you felt the most safe with and how they were able to, to help point you to God without making you feel like they were afraid you were going to fall away and 
Does that make sense? Yeah, it it was really just a lack of horror and fear. <laughs> right. The response, the reaction, the look right. in the eyes of like, what? You did what? Yeah. They were just like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, okay. I know. I understand why you'd feel like that. And it wasn't, mm-hmm. there was no buts. There was no, you need to do this. It was just listening, validating, hearing. I think the, they recognized that all I really needed was breathing room and I needed space to get this out and to question and to wrestle. And they gave me the room to wrestle. They weren't standing over me and saying, don't, don't do that. Don't move your elbow like that. Move. They weren't like, you know, the parents at the games that are like yelling their kid at their kid the whole time. <laughs> they weren't like that. They were just like, we see that you're going through a thing and we trust that God's going to carry you through that thing. And I'm not going to sever this relationship or destroy or make your your process harder than it has to be because they had already gone through that process. So they knew how brutal it already was. And they were just like, yeah, I'll just sit with you in it. I'll give you some coffee sometimes. I'll give you a meal, whatever it is, whatever you need. I'm here. And just, sorry, car in the background. Those of you probably have to cut, cut that out. Um, but they just, um, they were just a comfort and they just didn't freak out. And so that was, that was it really. Yeah. No, that's a challenge. Like that's definitely a challenge for me to think about um, when I have people in my life, whether it's my kids or friends or family members or people I care about that, or even a stranger that just, you know, gives, lays out something very difficult or feelings that are messy and just to be that person. I like, I, I want to be that non-anxious person in their life for sure. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, Hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, um, so the church hurt. I know that that is something that I know we've heard from women all over that have experienced pain from relationships of other Christians or in the church. Was it easy or hard for you to separate the pain of those relationships um, and not equate it with, I know that you were angry that God didn't necessarily deliver what you had thought, but were you, um, were you tempted to just break away from organized religion altogether at that point? Or for you, was it more like, well, this is an imperfect vessel and I'll just, you know, find something else. I mean, what, how did you process that? Because I know that's a very tough thing to do is separate the church with a capital C, the body of, with the body of Christ. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was a part Um, of the process. I, I didn't, we stayed in organized church um, for several years immediately after we never missed a Sunday for probably two years after that. And then we recognized that we needed to um, de-church a little bit and unravel that in us because it had become so convoluted and it was, it was hard to find who God is through um, who the church was. We were in full-time ministry. We were Bible school grads. We had been in ministry for over a decade together. And so much of 
what we believed about God was tied to what we believed about the structure of church. And we need to separate those things. And I think that's what a lot of people experience when they experience church hurt is that the a lot of these church systems and a lot of what church, at least in the Western culture has become is this authoritative structure. And you can convolute the authority in the church with who God is because the lines get really, really blurry. And so, yeah, we had to step away from that um, for, for many reasons. Maybe that could be another, another podcast, another podcast. Yeah. But we, we found the goodness of the bride of Christ outside of the organized aspect of it. And then the organized aspect of it doesn't scare us the way that it did at the time, because we found the bride of Christ in spite of the hurt caused in the structure. And from the, from the structure, we actually, uh, about three years after we went through all of that, we traveled the country in an RV for a year. And this was during COVID. It just so happened that it overlapped with COVID. We didn't plan that on purpose. We would (laughs) have It would have probably been a lot different if the pandemic wasn't happening, but because the pandemic was happening, nobody was going to church. And so we just happened as we were traveling to find all these little pockets of churches that were happening outside of the traditional aspect of it because it wasn't happening and in it and in denominations where God was moving in a way that they didn't doctrinally believe that God could move all over the country. And it that healed our understanding of who God is and who his bride is more than anything else could have, because we were able to get face to face with people that um, were the bride of Christ that were good and safe, non-anxious, <laughs> non-anxious people who um, were comforts to us and were dear, dear friends have become dear friends to us. Um, in spite of whatever structure of church hurt us before we were able to find the goodness of the bride of Christ in spite of all of that. But it was very challenging and very painful and it's a, it's a long healing process. It's a, it's a DNA rewriting that happens when you're hurt and has to happen again as you're healing. Yeah. Well, you also, I appreciate the permission that you have given just, um, I think there's a lot of guilt, especially if you've grown up in the, the Western church or just in general, uh, evangelical Christianity just the the guilt that might come from this idea of needing to take a break or this idea of needing to process apart from going every Sunday. And I just feel like um, there just needs to be, I mean, with God, there is no guilt. And I think we need to just like, we need to be okay with being transparent with God about our feelings and our anger, our frustration with him or with other things. I think we also need to like unload, like take off, leave the guilt behind when it comes to trying to find your way forward in when you're in a crisis of faith. Um, what would you say is the difference though? Cause I could see someone taking that to an extreme and being like, okay, I'm going to, I, I've been hurt by the church or I have gone through this crisis of faith because of something very devastating that has happened. Um, what is the difference between taking that time to process apart from either organized church or certain people or however that looks and totally not engaging at all and just avoiding your feelings and maybe just turning your back on everything that caused you pain in the first place? 
Oh, that is a hard, a hard question. And one that um, I think is really personal for people um, because it's, it's really easy to shut down and it's, it's easier to shut down and stay in the anger and the blame and run from the process because in the process you have to deal with shame and you have to deal with hurt and rejection and anger and all these really unpleasant things that a lot of us who grew up in the church or maybe didn't even grow up in the church. You've just been in the church for a long time. We don't have those tools to process those emotions. So we shut them down and sometimes we shut them down and we stay in places that we don't need to stay in because we're afraid to deal with those emotions. And sometimes we shut them down and we run from places that we need to be because we don't want to deal with those emotions. Um, I think it's the same thing. Shutting down and staying where you don't need to be and shutting down and leaving. It's the same thing. It just is expressed differently. And um, dealing with those emotions, no matter what, is the healthier way to date, to do this. Sometimes you deal with those emotions and you end up walking away from something that you never thought you <laughs> would walk away from. And sometimes you deal with those emotions and that, and you go through that process and you realize that you need to stay somewhere that you don't want to stay and you need to do things that you don't want to do. But whatever the result is, um, it's important not to run from your humanity. You were created human on purpose. We are in the intended design. God created us human. He gave us flesh and he reflected his image into that flesh. Jesus became human. He is still human, different brand probably, but he's still, he still has flesh as far as we know. And I think it's important to not deny your humanity or feel like the emotions are something that you need to bypass to be holier or whatever it is. You just need whatever the, whatever's happening inside of you, you just need to, um, look at it and confront it and not shut down and just be okay with whatever direction that process takes you surrender to the process and you will be so much better internally. And I'm of the belief that your faith will survive because you've dealt with what's happening inside of you. Yeah. Which is kind of counterintuitive because it feels like, oh, I've got to hold on to this faith. And if I bring all this stuff up, maybe my faith isn't going to make it. But like you said, that's fear-based. And if if you let go of the fear and just trust that God is the one who gives us that gift of faith, who's going to help us, um, yeah, that you'll find yourself on the other side of it. Well, I feel like you shared a time when a prayer was answered, when you talked about that amazing way that God just brought people into your life when you needed fellowship desperately. Um, could you share a time that that you answer that you asked God for something during any one of these difficulties that happened that things got worse after you prayed about them or you got a totally opposite answer from what you had prayed and just how how you got through that? Well, God has been really, really good to me, but he's also said no more than he's <laughs> said yes. And I think probably a lot of us. That is, that is our truth is that God has said no a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the stories I shared in the book, the the two big ones that God has given me a no to, um, the, what we went through at our church felt like a big no. And it felt like being rejected, not just from our church community, but from God and what we had thought our lives were going to, going to be like. Um, the other big one is we had a miscarriage a few years before we got pregnant with our twins. And it was, um, a very long and drawn out miscarriage that was a roller coaster of maybe this will be okay maybe this won't be okay and 
I kind of, I still not kind of, I absolutely wish that it would have just happened all at once because the, the being drawn out and the hope and then the fall and the hope and the fall, it just was like so much more brutal on me emotionally, I think maybe. Um, but that's, that was the hardest no to, um, reconcile with any kind of theological trope or, you know, people say the silliest thing sometimes after you lose someone you love and, and especially in miscarriage. And there's been nothing that anyone has ever said that has comforted me. I just kind of exist in the ashes of that. No, but also believing that God is still good and faithful and kind in spite of it. And just, just kind of had to get, get to a place where it was, um, it, it, I was okay in the mystery of it and, and, in the loss and okay with God's comfort in the loss, even if nobody else could offer me any comfort. Yeah. And I'm so sorry that you went through that. And really all of these things, I kind of went right into asking questions, but I am sorry for your pain. I know, um, it must've taken a lot for you to write these things down and relive these experiences. So thank you for taking that pain and offering it up kind of like as, as a sacrifice really to, to God by encouraging other women, because I know that women will resonate, even if they didn't, especially if they went through similar things, but even if they didn't go through similar things, just to see your process and your story. So thank you. That was, I know that was not easy. Thank you. Um, I, I definitely find the need sometimes and I fight against it. And I, as I grow, I think I'm growing out of it, but there is this need to, whether it's something that happens to you or to someone else to, to find a why, well, this happened so that this could happen. But when you come to certain trials and difficulties, um, of loss, especially, I think what you said is so powerful, that, that that we are forced to exist in the ashes of that uh of that uh that loss and at the same time hold it alongside God's goodness without being able to fit the puzzle pieces together of how it all works and i think when we hold our faith open handed like that i think there's a freedom in it um and I just, I appreciate that because I, I had never thought of it that way of just looking, you know, being able to, to accept both realities as true without knowing why, because I know I feel the pressure to make the connection and to figure out, well, why, <laughs> why? And, uh, and sometimes we will not know, but it doesn't mean just because we can't get over the hump of the why doesn't mean we can't also accept that God loves us and that he's good. So, um, what would your advice be to someone who is currently just in a very hard space of going through a hard time and just feeling has lost hope that God is even there, um, or hears or cares. What would, what would you offer up as kind of a first step to someone who would love to have faith, but just is at the end of themselves. Yeah. I think it's really important to um, mark the moments that God has come through for you. The Ebenezer stones, as we mm -hmm. call them, Christian culture. Um, because when you're in crisis, when you're suffering, when your faith is crumbling, it's really hard to remember 
if God was ever good, if he was ever kind, because crisis and trauma, it, it's just so all consuming. And it, it, you can't think about the past. You can't think about the future. You can only think about what's happening in the moment, second to second, moment by moment. Um, and so you forget and it's really normal and it's really human scripture is really, you can boil down scripture to a story of God saying, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget all throughout scripture. He gives us this reminder, remember, don't forget, remember, don't forget. And I think that's because it's really easy to forget who God is because life is hard and it becomes all consuming in the moment. So I think it's really important to mark the moments of God's faithfulness to you as they're happening. But if you've never done that before, you don't have a map to those moments because because you've never marked them before. So for me, which that was what was true for me, I started by marking moments in other people's lives that I had seen God come through for them or I had heard or it's a story somebody told me or something I read or something I saw. And I wrote those moments down and I made a practice of it. So I think you should, you need to make a practice of writing down the moments where God has been faithful, whether it's to you or to someone else. And then as you're going through what you're going through, start noticing um, the good things. And it doesn't have to be something big. I told the story in, in my book about a peach tea and how a peach tea at a bodega in Harlem became a massive boulder Ebenezer stone for me. And that wouldn't have been significant for anyone else, but God knows us. And he, um, when we're paying attention, he speaks to us and he provides for us in really specific ways. And you just have to notice them. And when you notice them, write them down, make a little note in your phone. Or if you have a little, I carry around like a little tiny notebook in my bag and I'll write things down if I don't want to put it in my, in my phone, but just mark those moments because they remind you of a time when God was faithful before and they give you hope that he'll be faithful again. That is such good advice. Um, there, there have been times I'm not as good about journaling. I kind of am sporadic with journaling and I'm at a season right now where I haven't done it as often. And when I go back and read prior journals, I just remember that there are things that God did, even in the fairly recent past, there are prayers that I've prayed that I didn't even remember praying that God has answered. And I didn't realize they were answers to prayer until I go back and read the requests. And then there are also things that God provided that I'm like, oh, I forgot he did that. And like you said, like when you start noticing and you make a practice of marking the Ebenezers, they just start coming and it's like, whoa, I am so blessed. <laughs> so yeah, it's a great first step. I love that. Well, I would just love to know where our listeners can find your newest book. So remind us when it comes out and where they can find it and your other books. You have other books that are already released. I have self-published books. Yeah, that that I, I have a few that I've written. Um, you can get, even if he doesn't, at any retailer. You can pre-order it or just go ahead and order it when it comes out. It comes out on February 20th. And then you can go to my website, kristenlavalley.com, and find anything else that I've written. There is a plethora of things on there. And I have a link to my blog where I write really regularly, too. Okay, well, perfect. Um, oh, and social media? do you, where do you like to hang out on social media? That's on Instagram, like a good okay. millennial. It's at Kristen.LaValley. All right. That's perfect. Well, how can we pray for you today, Kristen? Oh, well, you know, releasing a book like this has been really emotionally draining and talking about it mm -hmm. and promoting it and marketing it and all the, all these things. It's such a personal and vulnerable story that yeah. means to me. And, um, 
it's very emotionally and spiritually all the ways draining. So um, prayer for strength and endurance and rest would be great. Absolutely. Well, Kristen, thank you so much again, just for the courage that it took to go through this process with this book and particularly with the subject matter being so personal. Um, I just, I know that God is going to use this in amazing ways. So thank you for being with us today too. Thank you. God, we just thank you so much for this time to talk with Kristen. I just thank you for prompting her to write her story down for offering it up as just a sacrifice to point others to you, to bring glory to you through the things that were so hard by, by sharing what she has learned and, and the way that you're a redeemer and that you uh, take things that, that are terrible and use them to further your kingdom, to grow us as people, um, and how you just bring comfort in every circumstance. I just continue to pray for her Lord as she goes through this process of interviews and, um, writing and speaking about her book and promoting it. Um, God, I just pray that you would protect her, just put a, a bubble of protection around her heart, just allow her to, um, to just be able to move forward in this process, um, but to be protected and um, that you would fill her through this process. It could be a very draining process, but God, I know with you, all things are possible. And we just pray in Jesus name that this would become a life-giving process for her, that you would give her rest, even as she travels or um, does interviews or book signings or whatever the things are that she's going to be doing in the weeks and months and years to come. Um, I just, I pray that it would, it would be life-giving and even restful in the midst of a busy schedule. I pray that you would give her wisdom to say no when she needs to help her to hear your voice above all of the rest, demanding things of her, um, that she would know which things are the things that you have for her, her absolute best, um, and what things can, can be put aside for another time. Um, and I just pray you would protect her, that you would infuse her with just a peace that transcends all understanding that would guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus as she goes through this journey of birthing a book. And um, we just pray that you would take this book and that it would be like the loaves and fish, God, that she would put it in front of you and that you would just multiply it immensely, like just tremendously above and beyond anything that she could ever ask or imagine that it would impact millions of women and just bring them closer to Jesus, that salvations would happen, that, uh, dead faith would be resurrected, that people who have never heard the name of Jesus would pick up this book and know who you are and know who your son Jesus is and be saved. And we just pray that women that are broken and in pain and feeling hopeless would be encouraged and infused with hope that they never thought was possible because of her sharing her story. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Praying Christian Women podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So please leave us a comment to let us know what questions or topics we can address in future shows. 
then hop over to prayingchristianwomen.com journal to download your free prayer guide. We're so glad you joined us for today's show, and we wish you God's deepest blessings as you draw closer to Him and change the world one prayer at a time.